kids, and, and I've noticed it in them. I've noticed it in myself probably even more, so, but it's easy to pick on my children. So, but I've noticed it. Like The more I give them, the less like, likely they are to actually be thankful for the things that I give them. And we saw this, Claire and I saw this on the way back. Uh, we had to go to Florida this week for an Acts 29 thing, and on the way back, we stopped at a Wendy's because we were eating super healthy. And uh, we got all the kids uh, some kids' meals, which we don't normally buy the kids' meals, but we're on a trip. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to give my kids a kids' meal, and they'll have a toy for the road. I'm going to be an excellent father by giving them this greasy burger and this cheap toy. So, but as luck would have it, every uh, kids' meal that we got at Wendy's had a different toy in it, right? That's a, that's a big mistake. I should have, if I was really on my game, I would have made sure that they put the same toy in every bag. But anyways, I pass the toys out, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we got a toy, you know. And, and, and they're loving the toy that they have until they look up and see what toys the other one's got, right? And so the whining begins a little bit. Uh, uh, Daddy, I really want the monkey, or Daddy, I really want the alien, or Daddy, I really wanted the doggy, right? And it just started going and going and going. And so I started asking the questions of, hey, like, uh, what are you thankful for, right? That's what I always do. Uh, what are you thankful for? Can you be thankful for what you have? What are you thankful for? And then I got the response. I'm not thankful for anything. It's like, woo, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, I, I told them that, uh, that if they weren't thankful for anything, then I could take everything that they have, since they don't like it anyways, and I could take it away from them. It was a classic parenting move. Uh, I think I made some idle threats about coming back there. And... Uh, <laughs> We, you know, went down the road. Anyways, like I said, it's not just them, but it, I see it there, right? The more you get, the more I give you. I mean, I think I even made the statement, like, I'm just not going to give you any more things. They just make you, it makes you unhappy, you know? But it's not just them. It's me, too. I'm the same way. And when I have very little, I usually enjoy the things that I do have very much, right? But the more I get, the more I want. And it's really kind of a sad reality, isn't it? I mean, all the things we run to, all the things we run to try to acquire, they kind of make us blind to all that we already have to enjoy. All the things we run after, they make us blind to the things that we already have to enjoy. And so this morning, as we kind of enter into this Advent series uh, and season, I'm gonna ask, I just want to ask, like, is Christmas really all that we make it out to be? Is Christmas really all that we make it out to be? Like, do we actually enjoy Christmas in our culture as much as we act like we enjoy Christmas in our culture, right? Because sometimes I think Christmas, like, has us walking into blinders, right? Like, has us putting them on, like, we just walk right into them so that we forget how dark of a world we actually live in and how this world actually enslaves people and how it actually enslaves us and how it leaves us not with joy but with want. And Christmas can do that. Christmas can walk us into the blinders so that we don't end up leaving with joy but, but with want because we aren't happy with the things we have. We've got all our toys, and yet we're still browsing the Internet for more toys, right? We've experienced, maybe shopping's not your thing, but we experience all the pleasures the season has to offer, um, and we're packing, like, as much as we can in, right, until, until the season runs out. We've made the necessary memories. We get to the right parties. We do the things. Instagram it, you know, so that we can all be aware. We all know that we are experiencing Christmas. We're whistling Christmas carols. I love Christmas carols, you know, whistling Christmas carols. I've been putting on Christmas records in the office, and it's fun, 
and it seems really good, like everything seems really, really good at Christmas. But I wonder if we feel too at home, like if we just start feeling too comfortable, so that Christmas is kind of like plastered everywhere around us, so much so that we miss it, right? It's like, it's like driving down Washington Road and noticing or and never realizing how many signs there are on Washington Road, right? I mean, I didn't realize it until just the other week. I think Wes mentioned it to me because I drive down Washington Road like all the time to go to the grocery store or whatever, and it's comfortable. It's just a thing. I, it's a routine. But Washington Road is like covered in signs. I don't even know what they say, and it's really ugly, right? But you don't even notice it if you, once you get comfortable. And so I wonder if we just feel too at home, if we get a little too comfortable to the point, like to, too comfortable in Christmas and too, point in the, too comfortable in the routine and too at home in the routine of Christmas to the point that the good news of great joy that the angels proclaim to the shepherds in Luke uh, chapter 2 just sounds nice. Like if good news of great joy just sounds Christmassy enough, right? Like, like that could be on a Christmas card, and so that's nice. It's Christmassy enough, and it's nice, and it fits the season, but I wonder if it actually produces great joy in us or if we kind of miss it. I think it might produce nostalgia, but, but nostalgia makes simple things of the past seem like a lot grander than they are in the moment, you know? And it's kind of like, to me, it's like Christmas songs about making, like decking the halls with boughs of holly and fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. I hate decking the halls. It is awful. There's a mess everywhere. It's not fun. And so, in the, you know, it just makes, nostalgia just kind of makes everything a little bit grander than it is in the moment. I'm not saying you don't make good memories. It's good. And I hope that I'm not beginning to sound a little too much like Scrooge McDuck here, right? But I do wonder if how we experience the Christmas story now isn't like just in sound bites and images that may produce some warm fuzzies and some nice memories, but has us missing the great joy that comes from the good news. And so this year we're spending the Christmas season in the book of Colossians. Paul's letter to Colossians, and, and it's because our culture, to me, seems prone uh, to miss the weight of the Christmas story. Maybe it's because we're so familiar with the Christmas story. Maybe we kind of get lost in the characters and the details and the decorations that we have to go with each piece of the story. But what I love about Paul's letter to the Colossian, Colossians is just how big the good news is in the letter. It's big. The good news isn't just that Christ was born, right? The good news at Christmas isn't just that Christ was born. But in Paul's letter, the good news is that he was firstborn of all creation and that he was the firstborn from the dead. And we're going to get a little bit more into that next week as, as Reggie speaks. But that's how big the good news is. It's not just about Jesus' birth in a manger, in a lowly manger. That's part of it, but it's a part of a bigger story. It's about the firstborn of all creation being born into a lonely manger, lowly manger and then being the firstborn from the dead that redeems us. And my hope as we go through Colossians and as we kind of do these readings in Luke every Sunday through this season, we kind of pair those together. My hope is that it helps us to see and experience a little more of Christmas as truly 
good news of great joy. Because that's what ought to happen in this season. We ought to hear the good news in such a way that it produces great joy in us. And my prayer for us at Redemption Church in this season is that we won't just go through the routine, we won't just make merry, we won't just deck the halls, we won't just sing the songs, we won't just enjoy the weather, what weather there is to enjoy in the south, Uh, we won't just enjoy the apple cider and the lightings and the eggnog, just kind of stuffing ourselves with all the Christmas experiences. Those are all fine and good, but I hope it's not just that. I want us to be able to experience the gospel in such a way that we as Paul says, and you'll see in a second in Colossians, that will be strengthened to joyfully endure and filled with a gratitude that produces generosity. As we remember what it meant for Jesus to come and as we begin to anticipate what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. So let's read this in Colossians. It's Colossians 1, 3 uh, through 14. I'm really focusing on uh, verses 9 through 14, but I don't want to just pick up in the middle, so we'll just read that section, Colossians 1, 3 through 14. And Paul says this to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved uh, fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And before we leave the scripture, did you pay attention when the reading happened this morning? Maybe you even walked in a little bit late. In Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 31 through 33, Gabriel's making an announcement to Mary. This is what he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king and to his kingdom there will be no end, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you pay attention to that? Like it's not in this Christmas story, it's not just an announcement about Mary having a baby, right? It's an announcement that she's giving birth to an eternal king. And I think that maybe I think that gets lost on us a little bit, because maybe we don't have kings. And kings are just kind of things from the dark ages and maybe from our fantasy fiction novels or whatever. That's where kings live and that's not a reality. Maybe it gets lost on us, but this is not a birth announcement. This is a birth announcement of the eternal king. 
And that's a reality. It's not fiction. It's an announcement that God is sending his son to establish an eternal kingdom. For a first century Jew whose culture had lived as exiles under the thumb of oppressive foreign rulers, as we've talked about a lot over the last year even, for a first century Jew living under the oppressive thumb of foreign rulers for centuries, waiting for God's rescue, that announcement is really good news. A king is going to be born. And he's going to establish his kingdom forever. Right? But the news of Jesus' birth is actually even bigger than what Mary or any other first century Jew would have realized or would have known. Now I'm going to reread Colossians 1. Uh, 13 through 14, because it's really good news, and this is what I want us to focus on this morning. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, it says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news for us this morning. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, Sidestep for a minute. We in this room are rich. We're very rich. Most of us have not felt what it's like to really be impoverished. We haven't felt like what it's like to be in real need. Like in comparison to the rest of the world, everybody in this room is rich. If you have running water, rich. Honestly, if you just live here in America, rich. You're rich, right? We're rich. And the danger for those of us who are rich in this world's goods and are rich in what this world has to offer is that we won't recognize our actual poverty. We won't recognize our actual great needs. Those of us who are privileged don't have to recognize the domain of darkness that actually surrounds us. And as Paul kind of like describes this as a domain of darkness, it it puts this image in my head of C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hope you're familiar. But he describes Narnia there under the domain of the white witch as a place where it's always winter and never Christmas. A place where it's always winter and it's never Christmas, right? But in that place, in this place where it's always winter and it's never Christmas, and there's a white witch and there's a domain of darkness and there's constant gloom, there's perpetual gloom and darkness and evil, The white witch seduces the youngest boy, Edmund, with Turkish delight, which, have you, has anybody ever had Turkish delight? It's, that's, mm. (laughs) Who eats rose-flavored dessert? Anyways, anyways, she tempts him with British nasty treats, uh, And when she does this, it blind, right? she tempts him with these things and it blinds Edmund to the reality of the domain that he's actually in. Right? It blinds him to her wicked schemes and it blinds him to the reality of the perpetual gloom, the perpetual darkness, the perpetual evil of the world in which he finds himself. And we're going to come back to Narnia in a minute, but, but we too can be seduced like Edmund, Edmund, not with Turkish delights in my case, but we too can be seduced. This world... And these bodies that we're in are under the control of the domain of darkness. They're broken. They're lifeless. They're dead. And the good news of Scripture and the good news of Jesus is that light has stepped into the darkness 
to restore, heal, and make what was dead alive again. Right? That's the good news. But, but, the light has an enemy. The prince of darkness. And he seeks to keep those who are dead, dead. The enemy of light, the darkness, the prince of darkness, seeks to keep what is dead, dead. And he does that best by convincing those who are in the dark that they are actually in the light. Right? By giving us things, by making us comfortable, by making it seem like we're home, by making us never, uh, by never letting us feel the gloom deeply, by never letting us feel the darkness deeply. We're deceived in that way. But the reality of the Christmas story, and this is what I want us to get, the reality of this story of Christmas ought to remind us that this is a very dark world. And that's what Christ came into to deliver us from the domain of darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. You may remember in our last series in 1 Peter uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we spent three weeks in this section. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said that Christ had called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's the good news in Peter. Christ has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. And then here in Colossians 1.13, Paul says it. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I'm going to read you a little snippet from one of my favorite books, the Jesus Storybook Bible. <clears throat> I put up some resources online. There's an Advent schedule for reading through this there if you want. It's pretty cool. But this is from the story that she calls He's Here, and that's what I've entitled the message this morning, and it's from Luke 1 and 2. And this is just how she starts the story. <clears throat> Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. As silent as the snow falling, when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. I really want us to see the bigger picture this season, right? I don't want us just to fill in the season with images of the Christmas story. I want us to see the bigger picture. The good news of great joy is that in the darkness, he came. And that has some very real implications for us uh, that I want us to consider this morning and even and through the rest of the season. <clears throat> when we remember the greater story, the greater story that that God created the world in and through and for Jesus Christ, and it was good. That's the beginning of the story. The greater story that the serpent then whispered the lie and that Adam and Eve bought it, that there was more to have and more to enjoy than what God had given to them. And then, because of the fall, 
have put us and put them and put us under the reign of darkness. And that the same God who created the world with the words, let there be light, stepped into the darkness in the flesh as a baby to rescue us. When we remember that greater story, we ought to be compelled to what Paul exhorts these believers toward, uh, toward in, in Colossians 1, uh, 10 through 12. We ought to be compelled to great joy, to giving thanks, to remembering that our Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and into his king, the kingdom of his Son so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so that we can be fully pleasing to him, so that we can bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Sometimes I think we hear exhortations like that in Scripture, right? The, the, the bearing fruit, the knowing God more, uh, and, 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 and so on. And we just kind of get a little bit bored with it, or maybe it just seems like more work, and like, okay, we finally got to the, the to-do, here's what you want me to do. But that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That's, that's the enemy trying to keep it twisted in our heads and in our hearts, Okay? When our blinders come off, when, we can, when those things get peeled back by the Spirit, when we come out of our Turkish delight stupor and we come out of our candy whatever, when we, when, we, when we can finally see straight, when we can see, we'll be able to see that these exhortations are good things, that these exhortations are joy-giving things, that these exhortations are gifts, great gifts, and that we're able to partake in because of Jesus. Like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to him. That's not a heavy yoke. That's not meant to be a burden. It's not an like, act right to appease God sort of exhortation. If you hear it like that, I'm telling you, it's a mistake. It's, it's twisted. If you can see it right, it's not an act right and appease me sort of thing. Instead, it's like as a father... My children please me when they live in such a way that's best for them, right? When they live in such a way that they experience the most joy, true joy. Like we don't want our kids to get into bad things and to do bad things. Why? Because it's bad for them. I don't want my kids to do bad things and to get into bad situations because it's bad for them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. He wants the same for us that we would see how he's gone out for our rescue. We would see how he stepped into the darkness to bring light, to rescue so that he could call us his own. And we can know that he loves us and we can know that he can be trusted with all our lives. And he wants what is good and what's best for us. And so when we live in a way that he tells us to live, it's, because we're li- it's pleasing to him because it means we're living our best life, like what we were created to be like. And what about bearing fruit? be brief but flourishing is what we are created for like go back to Genesis flourishing is what we are created for and real flourishing just cannot happen anymore in the darkness dead things don't flourish and so we can't do good works when we're ruled by darkness but we are created for good works that's where we find joy and Paul also makes the exhortation that we would increase in the knowledge of God that's not a call to like get out the books and like study and gain some sort of intellectual knowledge and do your homework and it's about a relationship with your loving dad. Right? 
the more you know about him through Christ, the more you'll fall in love with him. The more you'll see how he went out to battle for you and you'll see uh, how he came out for you when you were done and you were left for dead. Like I said, you'll be able to trust him. These are good news. These exhortations are good news of great joy. It means we have freedom to live the way we were created to live in what's truly a joyful life. So listen, at Christmas, we're talking about Christmas, at Christmas, maybe more than ever, the powers and the principalities of this world would have you and I believe that everything is good and that everything is happy and that everything is right and everything is like fa-la-la-la-la, right? But Christmas can be used against us. And like Edmund and Narnia getting gifts of Turkish delights and candy and tea from the White Witch, filling ourselves with food and drinks and parties and gifts and nostalgia and maybe even giving, we'll be tempted to believe that this could be the best Christmas ever if we can just cram all the experiences in that come with Christmas. But this is what I want you to hear. You can cram all that in, but if you don't stop and savor the truly good news of great joy that is Christ stepping into the darkness, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. So what I hope for us at the start of this Advent season as we remember that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. What I hope for us is to take a moment to remember what Christ has delivered us from. And so we just need to pause. Like enter Narnia in the winter where it's all silence and it's all snow and it's all ice, it's all darkness, it's all gloom. It's under the rule of evil. Pause. Enter where it's all winter and it's never Christmas. Little boys with hands full of candy and Turkish delights from the white witch may barely notice, but the world that's in waiting, the world that is paused and is waiting, will hear. The snow crunches under his feet. Aslan has arrived. Christmas has finally come. Jesus has finally come and it can only mean one thing the end of the rule of the domain of darkness this is good news of great joy to all people because the enemy had us under his thumb he had us under his thumb but we have been rescued into an eternal eternal kingdom of light and life so now as we draw to a close, let's just snap back to our present reality. In Christ, that's in God stepping into the darkness and living and dying and being resurrected. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.14. And that's not a dealing with just our sins past, but it's a rescue into a present and eternal life in his kingdom and into our created purposes. And here's the deal. We presently live in a place of tension, right? Like between a kingdom that has come and a king who's won the great battle, but a kingdom and a king who is finishing the war. That's where we live right now, an already not yet sort of reality. And as a side note on that, 
about, what, about this war thing, I just want to caveat. This war that we're a part of, that our king is a part of, is not, just hear me, it's not against a person. It's not against persons. It's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Paul says in Ephesians that it's against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I just make this caveat because I want us to realize that the enemy, that that Satan makes war on persons and on flesh and on blood, that he's who comes out to destroy us, and he's who comes out and tries to convince us that that's what God does. But God makes war on the enemy who would come out to harm his creation, his cherished creation, that's us. And would, he, he makes war on the enemy who would set out for our, our death, and he rescues us. But we live in a place of tension between a kingdom that has come and a kingdom that is finishing the war against the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the point is, is we live in a kingdom that's already present, but it's not yet fully realized. And that's kind of where I want us just to hang out over the next few weeks. The question that I hope that we get to like deal with throughout the season is what Paul gets to a little bit later in Colossians, is how do we make the best use of this time? How do we make, make the best use of the time? So I pray that over the next few weeks we'll, in, we'll increase in our knowledge of God, by we'll pursue Christ, increase in our knowledge of God, we'll begin to bear fruit, we'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him and understand what these things mean. And we'll come to, to know what it means, what this good news of great joy is. My hope is that we come to know that it's good news of great joy for us and that it's good news of great joy for all people as we join with Christ in his work of shining the light back into the darkness. So the question today that we should take is how are you going to spend this Advent season? How are you going to experience Advent this year? Will you make time to pause to remember the greater story of redemption that Christ stepped into? Will you make time to anticipate what it will mean for the world when he comes again? And will you make time to consider what it means to live in an already not yet kingdom as a follower of Christ? Will you let it impact your life so that it impacts other lives for the glory of God and for our joy and for the joy of all peoples? Will you just pause and consider how we're going to experience this season? We're going to enter into a time of response. Um, We do a few things during this time. Uh, The band will come and they'll lead us in worship. And it's a time for prayer. It's a time for reflection. It's a time to consider who Christ is and what he's done and praise him and worship God for it together. Uh, We'll also have a time of giving where you can place your tithes and offerings in the back as an act of worship and an act of obedience, an act of trusting our God. And we also, every week, we come down the middle here and uh, we take communion. So we'll take the bread, we'll break the bread, and we'll dip it in the wine or the juice. And this represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Because he stepped in to our world 
And he went all the way to the cross. And so we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. And this is, this is our way of proclaiming it to one another. This is our way of remembering and being reminded each week of who Jesus really is and who God really is and how great his love really is for us and that he really is who he says he is, that he's God, that he's Lord, and that he's trustworthy and that we can submit all of our life to him. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and take that with us. Um, if you're not a Christian, we, don't, we ask that you not come, not because we don't like you or we want you to feel singled out, but because, like I said, we're, we're confessing our belief that Jesus Christ is Lord that he's God and that he's our Savior. And so we don't want you to say that if you can't say it. Instead, would you hear what we're saying in our actions and consider an invitation to come and to know him. There'll be people available for prayer. You can grab me and you can grab anybody else if you need, to, if you, prayer, if you need prayer for any reason or anything. Come and grab somebody. Let me pray for us and we'll enter into that time. Our Father, we just uh, lift up your great name again this morning, that you are great, that you are perfect, that you are good and holy and just, and that you love us fiercely. As we've seen, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, out for us to make a way for us through his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, that you could be with us and that we could be with you and that you could be our father and us, your children. I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in us to know the gospel, to know the good news of great joy in places in our heart where we have not been experiencing that great joy. May the good news of Jesus Christ coming just make us explode with joy in submitting to your ways because it's life-giving. I pray that you make us a people just enamored with you who can walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, pleasing to you, bearing fruit, and that you would help us to know you more and more. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.